I'm completely into Fortnite's now. Drop it. Duncan and both come correct. Part one. None of this is going to work out. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Duncan and Bo Come Correct, in which uh, one Duncan McLeish and myself recommend films to each other and then uh, decide who has, in fact, come most correct and uh, contributed the best film to the discussion. Uh, this week, uh, we uh, have a, a kind of a theme of asshole children. So <laughs> in for that. Um, but before we get to the uh, the cinematic battle royale, uh, what we like to do is uh, catch up a little bit and see what we've been uh, watching. Uh, Duncan, sir. Yes. Uh, so what uh, this week uh, or the past fortnight? Wait, is there a reverse fortnight? Like a, a, a re-fortnight? <laughs> a re-fortnight. <laughs> I don't know. That's a... You pose questions to me sometimes that I think I should... I should, just because of where I live, I should know the answer to these questions, and I don't know. <laughs> so, right, like, there should be... If for, uh, if a fortnight is two weeks, the uh-huh. last two weeks should be, like, a goose feather or something. Yeah, I think we just call it the previous fortnight. All right, the previous fortnight. So, over the previous fortnight, yes. uh, you have a movie or two that has, has struck you either good or bad. Um... Well, what I'll do is I will briefly discuss uh, a television show, which I know you're watching as well, which has, to me, just seriously picked up, and that would be The Strain. Um, So I had about three or four, like, saved up to watch. Um, I'd watched the first one, which was kind of like a... It was like a... not Was it double on length? It was quite a long episode for a first episode anyway. And... um, it was good. I, I enjoyed it. I thought, and what struck me, and I think we spoke about this on here before, was that the characters feel like they've been developed like in the previous decade. Um, they don't feel like modern characters, but it, it was kind of quirky and I kind of dug it. because like a kind of x file sort of feel to the to the main uh, male and female character in there, the, the kind of partners that were working on things. Um but I also said that the first episode had probably one of the most satisfying head crushes I've ever seen ever. Yeah. It was just oh, so good that when it I, I clapped, I applauded the telly as soon as it happened. Um, so the second episode kind of not plodded along, but it was kind of like they're still trying to deal with a lot of the characters' uh, backstory about his family and you know how he's too busy at work and a divorce, you know, custody settlement and all these sort of things. And I was uh, I was in uh, I thought this show. It feels too goofy to be spending so much time doing this. And then my delight was that at the end of episode three, you get the teaser trailer for episode four. And I can't remember exactly what it said, but something along the lines of, you know, business picks up or, you know, now that we've got rid of this part of the story, we can move on to this. And since then, it has been absolutely fucking fantastic. It is just... Not not because the acting is great, because it's not great, and you know it's a, the story's a bit cheesy and you know very cliche in parts, but it's just fun. This television show is fun. It is forty five minutes of just nonsense and fun, which I feel that we we have our shows already. We have our Walking Dead. We have our like a series hard hitting horror shows. We have our horror shows that pick up awards. We've got American Horror Story. Um, we've got Hannibal, which is picking up awards now as well. Um, we've got things like True Detective, which are like fringe horror, which, you know, all these sort of things. What we need is one that just kind of screams of quirky creature feature. And this movie, well, sorry, this show does that in abundance. 
it's a lot of fun. I, I'm about five episodes in. I've started to see this week's one, but it's just been every episode. I'm like, this is just crazy. It's crazy, and it it just it evokes a spirit of the the sort of stuff that the kind of mindless sort of horror stuff that I used to watch when I was a bit younger. Yeah, that you don't get a lot of now, to be honest with you. Ah, yeah, I'm loving it. Absolutely loving it. Yeah, I, I I'm in I'm in the same boat with the the strain where I I really enjoyed the series. Uh, I think every character about once an episode does something completely stupid. <laughs> but at the same time, like, like you say, it does remind me of the old monster movies that you would watch, uh, you know, when, when it came on a matinee or late at night on a weekend or something. And, uh, yeah, yeah, I've really been enjoying that as well. It, it, it's a movie I, or a, a show uh, I kind of turn my brain off as I watch it and just let yeah. let the silliness it wash over me. But yeah. but about once an episode, something will happen that totally reinvigorates my my uh, not just interest but like anticipation for the next episode. Oh yeah, it gets there's a, there's some incredibly gruesome, mean spirited stuff that's happened in that show <laughs> yeah. thus far. Um, that you know, part of me applauds it. I'm sitting watching it, going, I did because you're getting all this quirky stuff beforehand, and then it hits you with like a sequence like a mother committing suicide because she can't live to be in a situation where her, her, her husband's been transformed into a vampire. Well, not even I don't even know what they are. They're supposed to be vampires, but it's just, oh, yeah, it takes wicked turns in the show, and I'm, I'm really enjoying it. As for a movie, um, this one caused a lot of controversy on, uh, on one of the other shows that I do. Um, I finally got a chance to check out uh, the new Tom Hardy movie, Lock. Uh-huh. Uh, which is, uh, for those who don't know, is um, a kind of minimalist indie movie where we have a character uh, set all in his cars. One character, it's Tom Hardy, driving the entire story. It's interactions with him using his mobile phone to other characters for about an hour and 20 minutes. Um, the, one of the other shows I do, Rock and Wheel Reviews, the, the guy that runs that show had also checked out the movie. And we, we chatted about it uh, briefly, and he did not like it. He did not like it at all. He said he didn't really understand it. Felt like a, an hour and 20 minutes of his life was really wasted watching it. It never really went anywhere for him. Um, he couldn't really connect to Tom Hardy's character, which was, he said he played it quite well, but he couldn't really connect him. And I'm on the opposite side of that. I thought it was a really interesting film. I thought, my interpretation of it is that basically what we do is we we are given a snapshot of one night with a guy who is usually in control of everything. He's a master of his own you know, domain. He's, he's incredibly professional at his job. Um, he's a doting family man. He's, you know, all, all these things he's like, he controls everything and he's within his comfort zone. He's a very calm individual. And we are put in a car with him for an hour and 20 minutes where the whole world has turned upside down. Um, and through a series of conversations with the phone, through some kind of inner monologue that's played out on the screen with him uh, kind of speaking to, I can't, disclose too much because it's not a spoiler but it might detract from from you watching it he has interactions in the car with himself where we start to find out a bit of his backstory which basically allows you to understand why he's doing what he's doing and i thought it was really good it's not it's not an amazing film but i think um it is it's in the same sort of wheelhouse as like something like um ryan reynolds and buried you know where you're mm -hmm. basically in one location with a character and you go through the 
the full spectrum of emotions. It's not as dramatic as what Ryan Reynolds is going through, but I thoroughly enjoyed it. I thought Tom Hardy once again proves he's a captivating um, lead actor. I think he's I think he's very interesting. Obviously, I'm counting down to the new Mad Max movie. Like everyone should be. If yeah. you're not, then you're insane. Um, but I, th- I thought he was I thought he was excellent on the on the screen. I just I quite liked the concept. And yes, it doesn't have any definitive end. Its ending is very. It reminds me a lot of the ending to something like Lost in Translation. I just thoroughly enjoyed it. I thought it was really good. Uh, so I, it's it's a recommend for me if you've not seen Lock yet and you can get your hands on it. Take a watch. All right. Yeah. And Tom Hardy seems to be one of those actors who can pull that off. Yeah. You know, oh, yes. sort of like uh, um, Bronson. You know, mm. where he he's very much the driving force of that film. Without him, that movie is kind of garbage. Yes, definitely. Yeah. All right. All right. I'm the I. I I, this is honestly the first time I've heard of that movie, uh, so I'm now looking forward to it. Maybe maybe you should hold off then. Maybe I will play that card somewhere down the line then. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. Yeah, well, if I, if I find an appropriate match, then we will play that card somewhere down the line, sir. All right, uh, so I wanted to report back. I know the, the previous Fortnite's show, <laughs> I... <laughs> No, I'm obsessed I, I, with saying I, really, that. I, I really like the fact you've embraced this. This is brilliant. Yeah, yeah. I've, 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 I'm completely into Fortnites now. <laughs> I, I've got the shirt and everything that says, I heart Fortnites. Uh, <laughs> so the previous Fortnite show, uh, I, I mentioned that I was going to watch The Mist in black and white. You are indeed, sir. Yeah. I, I did that thing. Uh-huh. And you are right. I don't know if I am that interested in seeing that film in color again. It's oh, it works so much better in black and white. It it really is gorgeous, and it had been a while since I watched it. Also, and I had uh, forgotten how brutal that movie is. That that movie hates its main character. Yeah, <laughs> and, and which I I delight <laughs> yeah, in. Yeah, it does. You know, uh, like the the moment where that I had kind of forgotten about was when they make the trip to the. Uh, the pharmacy mm-hmm. uh, because of, of the the guy who's burned. Uh, yes. So they're going to get, you know, painkillers and medication for him. So they go to the pharmacy, which is a nightmare, of course. Mm-hmm. They get back just in time with the medicine, mind you, but the guy's died. Yeah. And that's the, the point where as I'm watching The Mist, I realize like, oh, none of this is going to work out. like like, even the the heroic accomplishment of surviving the this horror show at the pharmacy results in nothing nothing good comes of it and uh but yeah i I really think that is one of the strongest king adaptations for sure and black and white is the way to see it it is just gorgeous um so i I'm putting Bass through. Baz will be watching that movie coming up very soon in October, um, and I'm looking forward to seeing his his interpretation on it because it's like you say, that's just uh, the, the character, the, your central character, just goes through, and just when you think things have are starting to look up, that ending, oh my god, yeah, it's terrible. Yeah, in a, in a great way, but it, yeah, in a great, <laughs> in, yeah, yeah, in a great way. It's not it's not a terrible ending to the movie. It's it, it it's just soul crushing. 
And and you also realize that the main character, this man from now on, is insane. Yes. Oh god, yeah. His yeah, brain that's is broken forever. Yeah. Uh so so I watched that and uh you know, that's a happy movie. Um, <laughs> and then, then I also wanted to mention a a movie that I had never seen before called Night Creatures, aka Captain Clegg, which was a hammer film. No. I've not seen this one though. No. And it is a it, it it was renamed for the states as Night Creatures because it was a Hammer release, and I'm sure they were you know trafficking on on Hammer being sort of a creature feature uh, uh-huh. studio. Uh, but it's not that at all. It's Peter Cushing as a sneaky pirate who is posing as a uh, a parson of a little coast, coastal village, and there's all kinds of craziness involving bootlegging and. Uh, so-called marshmen that are, in theory, spirits of, I don't know, something that scare people to death. But all that's ridiculous. But it, the thing I really loved about the movie, A, it's, it's Hammer and it's Technicolor and it's gorgeous to look at and all that. Mm-hmm. Peter Cushing is having a better time in this movie than maybe any performance I've ever seen him in. Oh yeah, I, I love Peter Cushing as well, especially especially when he's on form. He dialed in a couple of those performances maybe towards the end of his career, but when he's on form and he's enjoying it, he's just oh, what an actor! Yeah, yeah, and and the thing I like is his character is kind of playful, uh-huh. and the dialogue is reflecting of that. And there are some great Peter Cushing moments, and Oliver Reed is in it as well as oh, right. a bit of a bit part. And uh yeah, so I'm I'm about to launch on a journey where I watch every Hammer Dracula film in order. God. So there's not as many as you would think. I mean it's it's about seven or eight of them. Mm-hmm. And and I'm not on a particular timeline or anything. It's just something I wanted to do because I haven't watched them since I was a kid. Uh and maybe I might I might be able to fit it in today, but I'm you know, obviously starting with Horror of Dracula, which was 58 i believe uh-huh. and it, it's the actual retelling of the bram stoker dracula uh story with christopher lee as dracula for the first time and peter cushing as van helsing for the first time so mm-hmm. uh really looking forward to that but um yeah I, i've been on a, a bit of a hammer kick and uh, i i got the collection that's got like brides of dracula and curse of the werewolf and a, a bunch of uh, sweet yeah, kind of lesser known or lesser uh, available uh, Hammer uh-huh. films, and and they're just a delight. Even even at their worst, Hammer films are still somehow very charming. Yeah, I've still to check out, and I've been told it is terrible, but I've still to check out the Mark ones from this year. So yeah, yeah, I uh, are you the quiet ones? Uh, the quiet ones, not the Mark ones, because I've seen the Mark ones. Yeah. So. The the quiet ones is also on the list and I've I've got it and yeah. just haven't watched it yet because I was too busy watching Amazing Spider Man two, uh, <laughs> which is terrible. Uh, that's what I've heard. That's what I've, I've heard people defend that movie. A few of my friends like vehemently defend that movie, but the the consensus of the reviewers that I respect that I know that have similar taste to mind have all laid into it, you know, and said you know this is not a good movie. No, it it really is not. Um, it, it's got all kinds of problems. I mean, too many to go into here, but suffice to say, particularly in a summer that gave us guardians of the galaxy, 
Yeah. This is a tremendously fun and and good-hearted film. Amazing Spider-Man 2 came across as just a mess of, you know, sort of corporate intention more than movie making. Yeah. So like, here's how we turn this into a franchise. Here's how it was already going to be a franchise. But, you know, here here's the direction we're going to go with that. And, and it ended up, like, there are moments where the characters engage in what could be construed as an emotional beat in the film. All right. <laughs> but it's... It happens sort of out of the blue. It's almost like the director was making a character-based film and somebody else was making this spectacle movie that was sort of cold and emotionless and kind of dumb. And the two just don't work together. It was it was a real mess. But, oh, yeah, so I watched that last night and uh, it was not, not really disappointing because I had no expectation for it, but I kind of wanted to see it because I had heard the same thing as, yeah. as you about it being not very good. And uh, that, that totally accurate. That movie is not very good at all. Um, you know, I would only recommend, and I'm a, I'm a huge Spider-Man fan. That was always my favorite superhero. And I, I'm very disappointed that there hasn't been a legitimately good version of that character since Spider-Man 2. The Rainbow yeah. version, which is one of my favorites, like the Doctor Octopus, Spider Man stuff, and Spider Man Two, I think is amazing. So, all right, well, that's all. Uh, I, not to end on a low note, I apologize. I should I should have ended with not. <laughs> I, I feel bad about that, but maybe it, it's totally appropriate because uh, the next film we're going to talk about is your recommendation to me. Oh yeah, which is we need to talk about Kevin. And that's not a very funny or happy movie. No, it's really not. <laughs> it's not the comedy one would suspect with John Riley in the cast. But, um, well, you ready to, uh, you know, let's get let's get into it. Let's. I, I I'm gonna put on some black. Maybe <laughs> maybe a Smith's record. Oh, <laughs> and, you know what I think we should do? I think we should have you know like how occasionally people have like something you know break the glass for for like a, an emergency life fest or something. I think what we should have is our equivalent should have break the glass for a happy meal. <laughs> fair enough. All right, I, I and we're probably going to need it because uh, uh, th this is going to get dark, y'all. All right, well let's let's get into it. We'll be right back with uh, we need to talk about Kevin. Part two. Twist the knife. And welcome back. So my pick is up first, and I don't know why I, I don't know why I introduced that really cheery bow. Um, <laughs> because... Like like maybe a cello playing behind you or something. <laughs> yeah. Um. So like last last week, obviously we tackled a couple of a couple of kind of more harder hitting dramas, and I don't know. What possessed me, but I decided that you know we should go one step further down that ladder, um, and so this surprised me that you hadn't seen this movie because this one it got a lot of critical buzz when it came out, um, and you know featured on a lot of end of year lists, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But the movie came out in 2011, and it's called We Need to Talk About Kevin. Uh, it was directed by Lynn Ramsey, who's actually really quite an interesting director. Um, the last I heard of her, I believe she was doing some sort of sci-fi movie, which I think was like a sci-fi space equivalent of Moby Dick, which when I heard that, I was like, this sounds like the best thing ever made. But <laughs> yeah, that I, does I, sound I, really I, good. 
I've heard nothing about it since then, so I don't know if she's still working on that or not. But um, yeah, this this uh, synopsis for this movie is Kevin's mother struggles to love her strange child, despite the increasingly vicious things he says and does as he grows up. But Kevin is just getting started, and his final act will be beyond anything anyone can imagine. So, Bo, um, you had not seen this movie, but you were aware of this movie. Yes, of course, uh, yeah. Yeah, and you probably, I would imagine you probably knew quite a lot about this movie without even seeing it, because I think this is one of these ones where you can't really spoil this movie, um, because the the act in itself, which happens in the movie, doesn't really detract if you know it, it's more about how the whole story plays out just in general, so... um, the, the floor is yours, sir. Tell us about We Need to Talk About Kevin. All right. So We Need to Talk About Kevin, uh, as you said, is a, a film I was aware of, although I didn't know as many details, or if I did, I had forgotten them um, right. as, as I thought. Like, I, I didn't, I knew that something horrible was going to happen. I didn't know what that horrible thing was. Um, the So that, it didn't take me by surprise because the whole movie is leading you to the fact that this this kid is going to do something awful um, uh-huh. and does awful things along the way. But I, I didn't know what the actual event was, but it, you know, it made total sense when it happened and, and was, was again, horrible. Um, so much of this movie is horrible in a, in a really good way. Um, <laughs> and it's totally a nonlinear fashion. Like you really, you understand very early on that Tilda Swinton is a character who is living with, a tragedy that she feels responsible for mm-hmm. and and clearly enough so that the entire community really is uh i mean she she is branded with the scarlet letter only instead of adultery it's parenting a a horrible child yeah. um you know she you you get these flashes in between her current life, which is living in kind of a shitty house, working in a shitty uh, travel agency. Um, you know, there's a moment where a, uh, a, a kind of a stranger walks up to her on the street and just smacks her. Yeah. And, and tells her what an awful person she is. And someone who doesn't know her, doesn't recognize her, sort of comes to her defense and... Says so like, do you want me to call nine one one? And she's like, no, 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 it's fine, it's fine. She definitely is a bit on the cross for uh-huh. uh, for having been the mother of Kevin, who, you know, the the thing that's interesting about this movie to me is, you know, when you see this other side of her life, the the pre tragedy side of the life, where she's married to John C. Riley and she has another child and. Um, she's a woman who is in a marriage that isn't perfect, you know, it's definitely troubled, but there's definite love between the characters. Um, she's also a a bit restless, uh, I think in the marriage. Yeah. Um, you know, she ends up sort of making these concessions to move away from the city into the suburbs so they can raise this child, uh, Kevin and, so she seems to resent the child a little bit from the beginning. And there's some question in the film, whether there's a nature versus nurture sort of issue with, with Kevin's behavior. Although I would, I would say that the movie kind of suggests that it's really nature 
and that maybe nurture didn't stop it, but yeah, uh, but this was clearly a kid that, you know, like to me, the, the most fascinating scenes of this movie, as a matter of fact, are the scenes where you see Kevin as, um, an, a toddler and a, a child. Oh yeah. When yeah, yeah. you, you recognize pretty quickly that this child is incredibly intelligent. Mm hmm. And also incredibly, incredibly manipulative. Yes, definitely, definitely. Um, I really love the stuff where the way that he treats Tilda Swinton as his mother, uh, Eva, is so drastically different from his relationship with his father. Yeah, you know that that his father sees him as the, you know this healthy and happy kid, but the kid is just torturing his mother. You know, in in particular, there's a scene where he intentionally shits himself. Oh, God, yeah. Just twice. Yeah, twice just to make his mother clean him. Yeah. And it's, yeah, it's really something. And so the, the movie is very much a character study of, of Ava. Uh, I mean, there it's there's definitely, you know, motions in the plot as you see this child get, get older and his capacity for cruelty is uh is heightened you know i mean yeah. he's he's clearly a child that is you know just of that personality that's completely dissatisfied with life and and doesn't see meaning in anything and and perhaps you know this weird relative fame that he achieves in the movie is is part of his aim but even then, you know, you're you're kind of left with the question of, well, does he even believe that really? Or um, it was this just an inevitability that, you know, this kid was just kind of broken from jump and and ends up, you know, committing an act of violence that leads to several people dying, in, including uh, members of his own family. Mm-hmm. And it's it's a really satisfying film. Um, in that you, you completely understand where this character, uh, of Ava is coming from. Like you understand her motivations as, as a mother, you understand her motivations as, uh, you know, a character later in the film and, and, and feel for because she's, she's obviously being tortured by the community around her, um, in, in some ways in, in worse ways than, uh, her, her own son tortured her, which, is rough, man. There are some scenes like there. There's a great scene where they go to dinner when he's a teenager, and she's making this effort to kind of reach out to him, and their relationship is, you know, awkward to say the yeah. least. Yeah, yeah. But they're having dinner together, and as she's asking him about school, he kind of breaks her down. Yeah. Where he he's like, okay, I'm going to tell you about school, and then you're going to ask me about you know some some like snatch from the front row like, i think is the way he puts it something like that it's really crude yeah. um and then you're gonna broach the subject of drugs and you're gonna say you experimented so it's not too awkward and blah 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 and he's like can we just skip all that and yeah. and it again because the the kid is super super smart very clearly but also a, a psychotic i mean that's yeah. that's they're that that would be the clinical diagnosis. He clearly has no real affection for anyone in his family, even though he pretends to, especially with his father and sister. Um, and that sister character, the the uh, younger girl Celia, 
Oh man. Uh, talk about your heart going out to a character. Yeah. Oh God. Yeah. Yeah. He really, I mean, no, just not really spoiling. He, he babysits, he babysits her at some point, And through that action of babysitting her, she is left permanently scarred. Like permanently scarred, um, but he does it in such a way that the father thinks it's something that the mother had left out, like bleach yeah. or something. The mother had left it was left drain it. cleaner, yeah, drain cleaner, yeah, yeah. Um, and you know, and she'd been using it for something. So he basically sets up a scenario where she would have to use the drain cleaner, um, and then he he then uses it on his sister. It's fucking oh, it's one of these things that yeah, it's like you say that character. And she's the she's such a the girl the sister is such a bubbly character as well. Even when the bad things happen to her, she's still bubbly afterwards. And yeah. then you see what he's put her through. It's fucking, oh, it's, it's crushing. Oh, absolutely the, crushing. The scene where Ava has to has to clean her daughter's eye after the the uh, injury, and yeah. you see these kind of like pus stained Q tips that she's setting down after cleaning the eye and then after the cleaning is over with and you know tilda swinton's character like puts the patch over her eye and that kind of thing and the little girl hugs her and says i love you mommy thank you yeah and you're just like oh please <laughs> you are twisting the knife i get it um it's yeah it it's i it's not a tough movie to watch in the sense that it's you know dull or uninteresting or or anything like that, but it's kind of a difficult movie to watch because there's a, a sense of inevitability to what's yeah. going to happen, and you you understand what the impact of it uh, of it is going to be on Tilda Swinton's character because you're seeing that impact all through the film. Yeah, but you don't know exactly what it is. And exactly what happens, uh, or at least I didn't, uh, not not knowing the ending of the movie. And when you get the reveal of what's happened with his family, it's just the worst. Yeah, you know it. It is so depressing. And yeah, it's it, it's a wonderful movie in a horrible way. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I could see that because I mean, like uh, Tilda Swindon's character is. In, I mean, I think you can't stress enough how amazing she is in this movie. Sure. I mean, she is like this is a this is a tour de force of. I mean, I'm surprised. I am surprised that she did not get awards for this because I think she plays the role so well. I mean, there's so many sequences in this this uh, this film where I, I can actually feel my heart going out to her. I'm just like, especially when it comes to the this idea of. Um, should uh, a parent be accountable for the actions of her children? And in the case of, she's left like she is left in a, a scenario where, you know, every, every pretty much everyone knows her, and those that don't know her, you know, kind of realise that there's something off by the way everyone else is treating her. Yeah. Um, and I think that's done incredibly well. Um, I think the the kid that plays, uh, that I think. Every incarnation throughout the years of the people that play the Kevin character are all fantastic. Even even down to the baby that won't stop crying. Yeah. I think, you know, it's just it's perfectly cast all the way right through. And plus, they managed to find they managed to find like the 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 kind of toddler version of Kevin 
that there's so many similarities other than the dark hair that would make you think that is the toddler version. So there's a consistency there, but to get the just not only the look, but the attitude as well, which carries right through of the, you know this this character. Um, and it's like you say, it's the the, the degree of manipulation. He's uh, the the toddler at one point during the 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 defecating sequence that you were talking about. Um, she acts out. And um, she tries to put him down, but she I think she loses it. She throws him, thus breaking his arm. And this has left a scar on his arm. And you get these horrible sequences where she's driving with the kid in the car. And she's like, um, can we just maybe stop off at the store? And she looks around and the kid's scratching the scar, looking at her as if to say, who gave me this scar? I know yeah. you gave me this scar. You'll do what I tell you. And she's essentially being blackmailed by a four-year-old uh, it was like it, fucking mind-blowing um and she totally she totally gives into it and, and that carries through to present day where you know um she's shopping and um she tries to hide from someone that she knows right it's, it's the, the mother of one of the the kids of, yeah of the tragedy yes yeah and um, when she comes back around, that person's gone. But when the stuff's getting scanned through, the carton of eggs are opened. And she's already checked them and they're fine. And every single egg has been crushed. Um, and she looks around and she sees this woman. This woman's done that to her. And she buys them anyway, just so she can get in the shop. Then you see the sequence of her sitting having to eat scrambled eggs and picking out the eggshells of them. Yeah. Just because she's had to live with us. The woman that punches her. And the guy says, do you want me to call the police? And she says, no, it's my fault. And the guy's looking at her going, you didn't do anything? She's like, no, no, it's, it's fine. It's my fault. It's my fault. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's, it's such a, to, to me, that's such a powerful statement. And it's something I think of, I, we never get that. You never get that in a movie, which it deals with a killer. You never get it from the point of view, once the killer's captured, how does the family move on? Yeah. You know what I mean? It's always from the family of the victims, and I understand that. But how does, you know, Flip that round. How does the how does the parents of the person that commits atrocities how do they carry on their life with the stigma that's attached to that? And I think Tilda Swindon plays it perfectly. Yeah, and and I I really like too um, that she shoulders this burden voluntarily. Like she could leave town and and try to start a new life somewhere else and and probably get away with it. But I think she she does feel responsible. Yeah. because of this complicated relationship she had with her child, which is she doesn't love him. She's a bit afraid of him. Yeah. But it's her child. Yes. And, you know, she, I, I think you can see in her character the guilt she feels over the the, the feeling she has about her child. Yeah. Um, and, and it's clear, like, when her daughter Celia comes along, and it's like, oh, well, this is what a child is supposed to be like. I love, like, I love my daughter. Yeah. And and Kevin, on the other hand, is it's my son, but there's something wrong with him, and and something that other people don't really see. And also, when you know the the package shows up with the the bicycle logs. Oh my god! And not understanding, like, oh well, this is all leading up to you know the the event of the the end of the film. And that she doesn't really think much of it, it seems. You yeah. know, that, you know, John C. Riley asks, uh, who's the husband in the film, asks about it a little bit, but not, you know, e even he uh, sees it as a business venture, is how Kevin presents it. And it's, yeah. you know, 
And also the fact, you know, her reading Robin Hood to him and that's seeming to put him on the path to the end of the film. And yeah, it's yeah. But again, there's a lot of complicated emotions going on in the movie, but none of them seem muddy or unclear, you know, and that's really tough to do in a film. To, yeah. where you understand the motivations of the character and the conflict in the character without her ever having a conversation, you know, <laughs> with with another person in the movie about what she's feeling. And yeah. it, it goes to Tilda Swinton's credit. You know, she's, she's able to convey that with her expressions and, and the tone that she, she speaks with uh, when she's relating to other characters. But no, there's never a direct conversation in the movie about like, I don't trust my child there are insinuations of that, but it's never directly addressed. Yes. Uh, yeah. It's really good. Really, It's a great performance and a movie that will make you terrified of children. Well, this is, yeah, I was watching it this morning and uh, my wife's never seen it before. And um, I actually had my, my daughter on my knee when, when I was watching the movie. And she's, I mean, I just want to stress, she's like 17 weeks old. So she's not aware of what's on the telly. Right. And, um, and I was watching it. and um, But already was, clearly a killer. Yeah, well, my wife came through at certain different bits during it. And um, she knows what's she knows what the big reveal is in that movie because she remembers me talking about it. But um, there were certain bits, and she's like, "That kid's a little shit," you know. I mean, like that. I was I turned around to her and I was like, "That, yeah." So I bet you're glad that we had one because um, yeah. <laughs> it does. It makes you that because from the moment that child is born, the mother doesn't connect. Tilda Swinton doesn't connect with him. The fact that he cries when she has him constantly, but when the dad comes in, he stops crying. So it's implied that even from a baby, he's torturing his mother, you know. And it's like you say, it's this whole kind of nature nurture thing. And yeah, I, I, I'm with you. I believe that is basically it's in his nature that he will always be that way. But the film implies at certain stages there's a nurture aspect going on which may have assisted this or something she could have done at some point, which maybe not might have stopped the overall outcome, but maybe have attracted more attention. Even down to the when the to come back to the drain cleaner conversation again, and she, like uh, John C. Riley says to her, um, you know, you need to be more careful when you're putting away these things. She says, I put it away, it was Kevin. And then they have this conversation around the table, and he, John C. Riley says, I think your mother has something to say to you. And she's like, uh, she doesn't come out and say it. She doesn't come out and say, I know that you did that. She just says, I hope, you know, that you don't feel guilty because, you know, we left you in charge. She's like, why would I feel guilty about anything yeah and she's like you know just because you were left in charge and and you know it's just she never confronts him it's never it's at no point does anyone ever it's like you say anyone ever come out and say what happens and that kind of plays into how the movie ends because if you knew earlier on in the movie through the flashbacks that's exactly how it ends then you know it might not necessarily be a shock i would still say that if this is a film that you've been putting off because you know what the ending is, I would still watch it because I think it doesn't it doesn't spoil the viewing of the movie at all because it really is a character study and I think the ending the ending gets me every time like her final her final confrontation with her son who's about to go from a juvenile detention to like a full on penitentiary he's yeah. going away to the, big the boy big school she calls it you're about to go yeah. to big boy school yeah and their interaction where. You know, even even him as a character, it's the first time you see him where he actually looks rattled, where it looks like, you know, the realisation of 
but he's he's still not remorseful. He's still no. not remorseful. Yeah, it's it's not him acknowledging what he's done and feeling remorse for it. It's him realizing he doesn't really understand himself, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, it well, and you know, to the point we were we were talking about earlier about her contributing a little bit, there's even a line when they're when they're playing miniature golf. Uh-huh. Where she's commenting on uh, an overweight person and saying, you know, that people say it's slow metabolism and all that, but it's just they're eating too much. They're just fat. Yeah. And, uh, and Kevin says, you know, you're you're kind of a, a bitch about things when you want to be. And she says, yeah, well, look who's talking. And he's like, yeah, well, you know, wonder where I got it from. Yeah. And yeah, but I mean, and, and I think that goes to the, the complicated nature of their relationship that this is a child that she didn't necessarily, not that she didn't want the child, but when, it wasn't what, planned. Yeah. yeah. It, wasn't, it wasn't planned at all. It's like a one night stand almost. Yeah. And, and when the kid comes, she's just, she's just not prepared for how difficult a child he is Yeah, and, and resents him in a lot of ways. And, and all through the film that, you you get that repetition of she's trying to be an individual, she's trying to express herself, but it's always, you know, Kevin interfering or ruining it or something like that. And it's, yeah, it, it, it's a tremendous movie. It's extremely well acted. I, you know, you you said it so, uh, but I, it, it bears repeating. Tilda Swinton is just phenomenal. She's such a good actress, and mm-hmm. um, she plays this role. Oh shit. Uh, oh, and one other scene I wanted to, to mention just because it's the one moment I actually laughed when watching this movie is when Jehovah's Witnesses show up at her house. Oh, God, yeah. yeah and they're like, you know, we just have a question uh, about, uh, you know, if you know where you're going to spend the afterlife. And she's like, oh, yeah, I'm going straight to hell, you know, eternal torment and all that. Thanks for asking, though. And and just shuts the door on them. And it's the one moment of levity in the movie where... It's the only, yeah, it's the only moment in the whole thing. But even in that levity, it's, it, you know, she understands that. She understands that she, or, or you as a viewer, understand this incredible weight she feels for having given birth to this child who does something so horrible. And, yeah, man. Ugh, Duncan. <laughs> yeah. It's so sad. It's so sad. <laughs> Everything about this movie is sad. Yes. Why is this movie so sad? It's and yet so good. <laughs> I don't know. It's one of these ones that, like I say, I've I've seen it. It's been out since two thousand and eleven. This is the second time I've seen it. So, um, in fact, the copy I watched today was a DVD copy I got as a present, which I got about two years ago. And today was the first time I'd taken the cellophane off it to watch it. So. <laughs> Well, and I had almost recommend. Well, I, I was going to recommend this movie uh, to you. Not we, we need to talk about Kevin, but um, you know, as we're going back and forth of, of what movies are we going to talk about, and I suggested the Sweet Hereafter, uh-huh. and that's another movie that is horribly depressing. Yes, really good, and the only reason to ever watch that movie is a everyone should see it once, and b if you're going to talk about it in the near future just to refresh yourself. But it's just not a movie you want to go back and watch all the time because it's it makes you feel awful, but it's really good, you know. Yes. And, I, and I, there is a weird place in my heart for that kind of film <laughs> that <laughs> that that sets out to tell a really difficult story, but 
or, or like Little Children is another good example of a, a movie that's kind of painful to watch, but is is totally worth the effort. So, ugh. <laughs> I, it's going to be a while before I watch We Need to Talk About Kevin again, but I, I'm <laughs> so, so glad that I saw it finally. Right, so so will we move on to your pick, which which I think you know, in light of recent events, this this movie is a bit more poignant. But this one does have humor in it, at least much more so than we need to talk about Kevin. <laughs> but but it's still yeah, I mean not not just in light of recent events, although we'll, I'm sure we'll discuss that. But um, but even the content is not terribly happy either. So. Oh, no, definitely not. Um, all right, yeah, let's get into it. Uh, yeah, next up is my pick for Duncan, World's Greatest Dad. We'll be right back. Part three, perving over the girlfriend. All right, welcome back. Uh, my, my pick to Duncan is, uh, as he mentioned, a little bit poignant in that it is uh, World's Greatest Dad, directed by Bobcat Goldthwait, and starring Robin Williams, who uh, very tragically... Uh, left us not long ago and the content of this film is somewhat uh, poignant uh, in that regard as well Um, so I I think it's worth addressing right up front I didn't recommend this movie to you because there is asphyxia in it as well as Robin Williams because those two things have have sadly become uh, somewhat associated but because it is a Bobcat Goldthwait film, which uh, is a, a director we both enjoy, and, yes. it, and it has a, a bit of a dark tone as well and matched, uh, we need to talk about Kevin. Um, but that being said, I think it's, it is it is worth noting that, yes, there are elements uh, of this film that are uh, a bit of a mirror to real life events in, in, a, in a very sad way. But uh, uh, we'll, we'll get a bit more into that, I'm sure. Um, but for now, let's just stick with uh, the synopsis, which is uh, um, when his son's body is found in a humiliating accident, a lonely high school teacher inadvertently attracts an overwhelming amount of community and media attention after covering up the truth with a phony suicide note. Um, the, the film is from, uh, 2010 or, uh, 2009 rather. And, uh, of course stars Robin Williams as the, the father Duncan. Uh, I know you enjoy the Bobcat Goldthwait. I do indeed. And, uh, I'm sure you enjoy the Robin Williams as, as do we all. Yes. Uh, so, but what did you think of Robin Williams in Bobcat Goldthwait's world's greatest dad? Yeah, well, I've heard of this movie, but never seen it. Um, and I, actually, I knew Bobcat Goldthwait was in it, and I knew he had written it, but I didn't know he had directed it. Um, and I think that when we were talking about Willow Creek, you had mentioned this as one of his movies. And so, yes, yeah, so I didn't know that he had um, he was the director of it. Um, and like you say, recently, in the last two weeks, I think it was, uh, possibly three. Um, it was probably... right after we, re- we recorded the last show. It was the day after that. So it's been yeah. a previous fortnight. Yeah, yeah, and and um, we got the news out that you know, um, Robin Williams had committed suicide. He hung himself basically. So the the fact that this movie, it's like you say, it's I mean, first and foremost, it's a Bobcat Goldthwait movie, but it just so happens that the events in it bear a striking resemblance in in some aspects. Um, so basically, what we have is we have this school teacher, uh, Robin Williams, single parent to one of the most obnoxious teenagers I've ever seen in my entire life. <laughs> An awful uh, kid, for sure. Oh, yeah. The, the sort of kid that I would love to just punch in the face or hit repeatedly with a, a warm frying pan 
over and over again, right in his melon. Um, Because every, he just, he's so obnoxious and he is like, he's almost like the the extreme version of how, how teenage boys are. Like, so he's not just, he's not just like obsessed with sex. I mean, he is obsessed with sex and porn and everything comes back to that. It's his only interest. Everything comes back to this and every interest anyone has is gay because, you know, it's not porn, basically. Um, he, <laughs> yeah, that's essentially it. He, yeah. has, a, he has a very weak-willed um, sort of friend that, that follows him around to... It, I think he only really keeps him around because, you know, it's it's good to have a friend because he's not nice to this kid at all. He's, it's not that he tortures or any, or anything, but he's not nice to him. And he, he doesn't speak to him as an equal, you know, he kind of bullies him around. And he's a, he's a bit of a no one at school as well. No one really pays attention to him, but that's the son. The dad is a school teacher at this school and uh, is an aspiring author who has written five books, none of which have been picked up at all. And all of which have horrible titles, by the way. Oh, like, yeah. Oh, <laughs> oh, yeah. He, he just, for whatever reason, he just, he, he can't seem to, to write the thing or g- gain the interest of anyone to check out his stuff. He is, um, he is dating a fellow teacher. I get the impression that she basically, because this, this film on some level works as a bit of social commentary, like most of Bobcat's stuff does. Um, and that she's, interested in him but she's only really interested in him because he is doing something exciting like he's an author um, there is no real love from that character towards her she's easily distracted by anyone else that has any other kind of spark of of attention being lavished on them um, so so this is a scenario we have uh, we have Robin Williams school teacher he's kind of bullied at the school by the principal principal's not very nice to him he runs a poetry club which no one goes to um, and he's been told that the other teacher that runs the creative writing course he has a full class and they only have the funding for one class and you know they'll close it down and all the rest and all these things might sound trivial in the story but when it plays to the main thing you know, it, it makes sense. So he catches his son at one point trying to do, and I'll get the, the word wrong, it's autoerotic asphyxiation. That's right. Um, that, that's exactly right, Duncan. Well, there we go. I'm quite impressed with myself there. I've, I've been trying to say it twice today, and I've kept getting it wrong. I get them the wrong way around. Um, so, yeah, so um, his son does this at one point, and, you know, his dad thinks his son's killed himself and all the rest, and it, it plays through. And, you know, we kind of just go through, like, a series of kind of, not mundane events, but just life. We, we kind of follow the life of this teacher who, you know, the, the, the guy that has a creative writing course, his first uh, his first work gets published in a New Yorker, first time around, and everyone's lavishing praise on this guy who's who's done what... Basically, Robin Williams wants to do, but has never been able to do in five attempts. This guy does it in his first attempt. Um, and as such, his girlfriend starts paying more attention to him. Um, in the middle of the movie, we have the scenario where he goes out to dinner. All of them go out to dinner. So that's the, the girlfriend, teacher, himself, and uh, the son all go out for dinner. And the son's completely like perving over the the girlfriend something horrible and when they drop him off he goes away to 
Robbie Williams goes away to drop her off, and when he comes back, he finds his son has done the same auto-erotic asphyxiation. I'm on a roll here. Um, and unfortunately, he's taken it too far, and when he walks in, he finds his son has, has accidentally hung himself, has strangled himself. So, and I kind of a way to save his son's dignity, but I think also on some level to save his dignity, he sets up a set, he basically hangs, he moves all the porn stuff away, all the lube and all that gets moved. Um, he takes away the son's mobile phone, which had upskirt shots of his girlfriend. Um, and he, he places his son in a position where it looks like he's hung himself. He types out a suicide note and um, stages it like a suicide, um, to which... For some reason, and this is once again, this is where the social commentary kicks in. Um, instantly, people become more interested in him as a character, not straight away, but you know, there's more attention being lavished. And when the son's suicide note gets published, this like kicks off, and then everyone starts to to claim all the school kids claim that on some level they were friends, or they they you know they they wanted to know more about him, they they felt the same way as his son, and all the rest. Um, his girlfriend then asks if there's any more material there, because she's now paying more attention to him, and he fakes a journal. So Robin Williams writes a journal that apparently his son's wrote. It's very deep and all the rest. And it gets published. Uh, he appears on television. And eventually, the, the headmaster, who at one point has has tried to send the son to special school, he decides that he's going to name the library wing of the school after his son. <laughs> right. Which is like, I think it's like the final insult, I think, really. I think this is like the final thing that, you know, he can't take anymore. Meanwhile, we have the son's best friend is constantly saying to Rob Williams, you know, this doesn't seem right. Why would he write this? Why wouldn't he mention me? He's never mentioned this. I love the bit where he's like that. I've read his journal and there's no bit in there about, you know, ass-fucking, felching, you know, tits. Right. You know, he goes and, and, he, and it seems smart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it seems, yeah, it comes to that, you know, it seems smart. Um, and this thing is, they keep playing off that he was a, you know, a tortured intellect that, you know, this is why he acted out because, you know, he was so, he didn't want people to know how intelligent it was. And we get this glorious, glorious end to this movie. And I, I, I'm going to spoil it. Uh, this glorious ending where when Robin Williams goes to accept the the name dedication to the Library Award, he stands up there and says, listen, um, my I, I wrote the suicide note. My son died because he was, you know, erotic asphyxiation again. Um, and I wrote the note. And I'm the one that actually wrote this, this book. And then he walks off stage and all the attention that has been lavished on him instantly dissipates. No one is interested anymore. His girlfriend is no longer interested. She slaps him. The head teacher calls him an asshole. And um, the the movie kind of ends with the 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 friend of his son basically kind of speaking to him and kind of because he doesn't have he doesn't have any good parents. He only he has a single parent. His mother is an alcoholic, and uh, Robin Williams kind of takes him under his wing and that's how the movie finishes um, it's really funny I, I, I watch stress this is really funny but it's very dark the the subject matter is incredibly dark when you especially I knew nothing about this movie so the sequence where he came in and found his son dead and Robin Williams will unfortunately I, I always feel that Robin Williams will be remembered as this great comedian which he was and I completely understand that I don't always think that enough attention is lavished on 
how his serious performances are and when I, I thought he was a phenomenal actor I've, I've already said before I think if you ever want to see one of the most unsettling performances of a really creepy individual watch one hour photo I think he's phenomenally creepy in that movie yeah. Insomnia he plays a serial killer but plays it in a really bizarre dark and kind of twisted sort of playful way um, movies like The King uh, sorry The Fisher King the you know or even down to things like Goodwill Hunting or the you know, Dead Dead Poet Society or things like that. You know, you look through these movies and see the spectrum. When he finds his son dead and he breaks down and it's silent, you know, you don't hear him crying because music starts playing over the top and my God, my heart oh Yeah, it's dropped. devastating. Yeah. It's absolutely and he captures it perfectly. He captures captures that perfectly. There's a particular line in this movie we were talking about off air where he says a sentence which has been emulated since uh, it's been mentioned. It's a, a line that I knew, not because of this movie, but because of what had happened to Robin Williams. And when I've traced it back to this movie, now it kind of makes more sense as to why people are using it. But suicide is a, a permanent solution to temporary problems, which is what he says about his son. And obviously going on to think about Robin Williams' manic depressive really, really bad with depression. And obviously that's what they're saying was ultimately one of the, the factors which resulted in his suicide. That and the fact that he recently, I think they were saying he was in the early stages of, of Parkinson's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, I mean, there's a, there's a degree of poignancy to the events that happen in the movie as well. I think Rob Williams plays it perfectly. I think um, it looks like he's having a lot of fun in most of this movie all the way through. The cast is actually really good as well. His son, as much as I hate him, he plays the part perfectly. Every second he was on the screen, I wanted to hit him. The, there's some really good surrounding characters as well. The head teacher I know from Dexter, uh, he plays that kind of tight ass, basically, in the movie, and I, I appreciate that as well. Even his quirky girlfriend, I, you know, she plays the part perfectly as well as the almost attention-seeking sort of woman who really only craves like the, the attention of men that are now, you know, interesting. You know, she doesn't go for anyone that's just like your everyday, run-in-the-mill, quiet person. There has to be something about them, whether it's they're involved with basketball and being published or they're going to be on television. Um, that I mean, the credits to that is even down to the fact that when he finally gets the TV um, appearance and she asks, you know, is she going to be on camera? Where, where, where will she be sitting? She's not interested about how Robin Williams is doing or, what you know, the spotlight being on him. She wants to know where she can get her, her bit in there. I thought it was a really good movie. I th Once again, Bobcat Goldthwait, and he even has a cameo in this movie, is um, is a really interesting film director. He's taken he's taken subject matter which is quite dark, putting his own kind of comical spin on it. And this movie did make me laugh, but at the same time, there is a message there in the background as well, which I think comes across clear without it being a position of Bobcat Goldthwait's talking down to you as the viewer. Um, it never feels like he's being preachy. He's yeah. just being, he's just observing things. And I think that that's one of the strong points of this movie is the, the observational side of, uh, you know, the what, what comes across with one, how, how people become inst uh, instantly more interested when they have died in some sort of way, which is, out of the, out of the blue or tragic, you know, people tend to start building up that character of that person just because that's what happened. I mean, that links back into, we need to talk about Kevin where he says that, you know, society is now, uh, 
in a state where people watch television to watch people on telly watching telly. Yeah. And what are they watching? Well, they're watching people like me because I'm I'm what people find interesting. The killer is what... And that's true. Look at um, serial killer culture. Uh, these people are... You know, if you look at a war criminal, someone that kills millions, you know, the, the public outcry and, and all the rest. If you look at someone that kills maybe 14, 15 people, there's a cult of, of a weird sort of thing that comes up with people... And I'm guilty of it. I, I love serial killer culture. I read a lot into it. But um, this movie kind of captures that in a different aspect about basically the son becomes almost like a mythical person in the school. Uh, his poetry class becomes more popular because people want to go solely to ask questions. And even down to the goth chick asking if she can have something that was his, which is incredibly inappropriate. Although hilariously, oh. she is given a Bruce Horns BCD. <laughs> <laughs> See, when he appeared to sing at the library. Oh, that's so I funny. Like, oh, I thought this was fucking brilliant. And that's what Bobcat does, I think, best. I think he manages to marry all that sort of stuff up where there is a there's a social commentary there. It's not preachy. Uh, it's not patronising. At the same time, there's a bit of wit there. And like I say, the events in the movie have uh, a poignancy now probably more than ever with the recent events. Uh, I really enjoyed it. Excellent, excellent. Uh, they... The other thing that I really enjoy about this movie, aside from the fact I, I do find it very funny, uh, I, I particularly love the the bit where one of the kids from his poetry class just reads the lyrics to Under Pressure. Yeah. And, and, and when, when Robin Williams calls him out on it, he says, well, I didn't think anyone would know that song. And Robin yeah. Williams says, I'm white. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and and they kind of married that song later in the movie in in kind of a wonderful yeah. way. But yeah, I, I think it's tremendously funny, and and does walk that very delicate line between being tasteless, yeah. uh, because you could be very tasteless about the subject matter of this film, but that never seems to be the case. Um, I, I think Bobcat Goldthwait is a very talented director in his ability to to find the comedy and in, in some horrible things and never make it seem uh, gratuitous. Um, the other thing I really really enjoy about this movie though is, uh, as you were saying that you know there is this theme underlying it all about people's hunt for fame and I, I think it's interesting that we end up at the end of the film with Robin Williams among the only authentic people of the movie. Yeah. You know, like uh, his girlfriend being a bit of a, a fame chaser, the other uh, creative writing teacher clearly being a bit of a showboat. Oh yeah. Yeah. And, I love the way he does it though. Yeah. It's so, it, everything he said, I mean, everything he says is so insincere about anything, which is, which is not involving himself. Yeah. Yeah. And in and, and the same way with, you know, the principal and, and him being disingenuous about, uh, you know, naming the library and, and all that stuff. And, yeah, so the, there there seems to be a real statement by Bobcat Goldthwait about rejecting things that are disingenuous and phony and, and embracing the authentic even when it's weird. Like the authentic yeah. characters of this movie are the, the kind of quiet, abused kid – who needs a parent and this neighbor woman who is a hoarder and loves zombie movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and that those are the characters to kind of wrap your arms around. It's the the weirdos that are real people and not, 
you know, the, the other characters of the movies that, that are just these facades of real people. Yeah. I, I think it's a, a tremendously well done movie, uh, as well as being well acted and funny and, and thematically interesting and all that stuff. So, uh, well, you ready to duke this out, sir? Yeah, let's do it. All right. We'll be right back to determine, uh, who in fact, uh, has come most correct this week in a week filled with depressing movies. <laughs> Who is, who is more depressed? Uh, we'll be right back. Part four, a fart gun? All right, welcome back. And yeah, so two surprisingly <laughs> similar films thematically. Yes. Also two wildly different approaches to it. I'm, I'm going to tip my hand early because last uh-huh. week, I, I, or last fortnight, the previous fortnight, <laughs> uh, I, I, I made you go first. Uh-huh. Uh, I think. We need to talk about Kevin is the better movie, mm-hmm. although I think World's Greatest Dad is the movie I'll watch again soonest. I would agree with that. There's, I mean, like I say, um, uh, we need to talk about Kevin came out in 2011. I saw it in 2011. This is the first time I went back to it. So you're three years, three years it's taken me to, to come back to this movie. Um, and it's just purely because the subject matter is so dark and it, it is a fairly depressing watch. Uh, I mean, there is, a, like you said, there is a there is an inevitability about that movie from from fairly quick into it, where you know something bad has happened that you basically you're you strap yourself in to go an hour and forty minutes into into depression, basically. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I think it's I think it's a phenomenal film. I think. Uh, Tilda Swinton's performance. Whilst I really enjoy Robin Williams' performance, and that—that's like I say, that scene where he breaks down. It, I mean, it, it caught me off guard, and I—I I mean, I didn't know that was going to happen in that movie, so it floored me. I think Tilda Swinton's performance throughout the entire movie, and it's played. To be fair, they're played in two totally different realms here. One is played for kind of comedic effect, with you know a serious bit underlying that like an undertone of seriousness while Tinder Swindon's character is is dramatic from from the start right through it's this depression dramatic inevitability so I think it's very difficult they are similar in tone um in terms of what actually happens with our with dealing with kids and you know um the, the aftermaths of what your kids do um uh, you know the burden of responsibility being placed on the parent to, to carry that forward and, and a positive light in one movie and a negative light in the other to me the better movie is we need to talk about kevin but i'm i'm very happy to say that is i won't be rushing back to that movie again for a while and that's not a bad thing i, I think you need to be in a certain frame of mind and to sit down and watch that movie because uh, or you need something to cheer you up right after it like a fart gun or something <laughs> um a, a whippy cushion wait wait, wait a fart gun yeah, like you've you not seen the like for the minions from uh, Despicable Me. Oh, okay, okay. Like, like one of those guns which just injects levity from the from the moment you press the trigger. I, um, I was like, how do I get one of these? <laughs> so yeah, I think you can buy them, mobile. You think you should, you should own one just for the, this podcast. So <laughs> I, I feel I feel like I'm packing all the time though. I, I've got a built-in fart gun. <laughs> So, so yeah, over, overall, I mean, both movies are excellent. I would stress that. Um, I'm kind of going to go with my movie just because I think, I don't want to say it's a better, 
I th- it's a better movie, but it's not a better movie in a way where I could say that there is anything wrong with World's Greatest Dad, because I don't think there is. I think that movie is perfect as it is. Um, I just think that... And it's almost unfair to put the two of them against each other, because one is played for a completely different effect than the other one. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we need to talk about Kevin as a movie that I think works on every single level. And I find myself, when it finishes, not only am I, you know, feeling a bit deflated and stuff like that, but I'm thinking about things. And I think the... There's just something about that movie. I don't. I don't know what it is. So yeah. Yeah. No. I. I agree. I. I think World's Greatest Dad is a, a great movie. On another episode, I feel like I could have won with that film. You. Yeah. You would have walked away with it definitely. I think. I, it's, everything about it is tailored to what I like. I like things that have a bit of social commentary. I like. I like that sort of humour. Bobcat's humour is brilliant. I think Robin Williams is phenomenal in it. You know. I mean, everything on any other. Any other occasion, this movie would have done really well. It just is slightly unfair. It's been placed up against a movie which is is not played for anything other than to to pinch you over and over again with this just feeling of I don't know. It's just, Un- unavoidable dread. Yeah, yeah. From from the very start of that movie right to the very end, that's what you get, and I think it does it uh, on a level which few films can even get close to. Yeah, yeah. And and really, the the deciding factor for me was the very fact that I did not want to watch it again. Yeah. Um, you know, when I finished World's Greatest Dad, I I thought like, oh, what a you know, that movie is surprisingly delightful given its subject matter. And yeah. I can watch that movie just about any time. With We Need to Talk About Kevin, as soon as it was over, I realized I don't want to see this for a while because of how I was left feeling. And yeah. Yeah, and it, it's just it's it's too good it, to at at what it's aiming for. Like it it nails that emotional response so well that it's you know it, again it, it it I don't want to watch it again anytime soon. And yeah. and to me that is the mark of a great film. And it's not because it's crap. It's because it is so <laughs> good at what it does. Um, ah, we need to talk about Kevin, the winner. And and by default, you as well, sir, have uh, have come most correct, which I think I'll have to check the score, but I think that ties, ties us, us again. I think, yeah, I think we're back to this tied position. Ugh. Yeah. <laughs> Man. All right. But I feel like the caliber of film, especially over the past couple of episodes, has it's been... It's been high. It's been, it's been on like the incredibly high level. I don't think we can sustain this yeah, I mean, all I, the way right through. I, yeah, I feel like, like we're both just firing haymakers. <laughs> I've, I've got an idea for, for next week's one, and if, you, if you're done with it, it's going to be entirely quirky and on a different level. So Okay. A, yeah, a, a, a lower level, so uh, yeah, I think, we, I think we might need to do that. Yeah, yeah. And get back to our Death Race 2000 days where we, we, yeah. we could have a little bit of fun and not worry about asphyxia um, and, and <laughs> yeah. murderous children. Um, so, Duncan, in the coming fortnight, because I heart fortnights, uh, b- between now and our next recording, uh, anything that you're looking forward to watching uh, aside from the, more of The Strain? I believe that in the next fortnight... Um... As Above, So Below comes out in the cinema, uh, which is the 
kind of found footage horror movie set in the catacombs under Paris. I think that finally makes an appearance in the cinema over here, and it's one that I'm actually looking forward to. The trailer gives off a, a heavy Descent vibe. It looks like a kind of cross between the Descent and Borderlands, um, or the Borderlands, sorry, um, which I, I'm really looking forward to checking out. Uh, I'll be watching, obviously, more of The Strain and... Uh, yeah, I think that's the big one. I think I can't. I can't really think out with that. I'm sure. Oh, the 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 new Sin City movie, Sin City Two, comes out. Uh, Deem to Kill comes out in the next fortnight as well. So I shall be checking both of those movies out at the cinema. And I dare say I'll be reporting back. Excellent, excellent. Um, I will only mention the uh, what I mentioned to you off air, which is that I am embarking on a a bit of a, a hammer journey. Oh yeah. Uh, where I'm going to. Uh, watch all of the Hammer Dracula films in order from mm-hmm. the the greatness of horror of Dracula to the uh, less than greatness of Satanic Rites of Dracula, I think is the last one. Yeah. And yeah, so I'm excited to, to get on with that. Uh, I, I'm not sure how excited I am about As Above, So Below. I am, but I'm curious. <laughs> like, I, I am, report yeah, yeah. back to me and, and tell me that it's really good, then I, w- I will definitely see it. Uh, I still haven't watched Only Lovers Left Alive yet. Oh, you need to watch that song. Yeah, and especially after seeing We Need to Talk About Kevin and realizing yet again, every now and again, I need that reminder of, oh, yeah, Tilda Swinton is one of <laughs> one of the greatest actresses at, at work today. Yeah. Um so after seeing that, I it's a movie I will uh, I will definitely see between now and the next time we uh, we speak, um, and that's kind of it for me. I mean, they, I'll I'll catch some other stuff, uh, of course, but uh, those are the ones I'm really looking forward to. Vampire stuff, apparently. Yeah, <laughs> that's not bad. I go through phases every now and again. You need to watch a good vampire thing. The, the Tilda Swindon thing you're saying, I always come back to, and she's, it's a minor role, but it's probably the one of the best things about the original Constantine movie. Oh, yeah. Her, her performance as the Archangel Gabriel is absolutely fucking amazing. Yeah, it is um, the best thing about Constantine as far as yeah. I'm concerned. Yeah, the, the, the guy that plays the devil was a second to me because I think he plays one of my favorite on-screen devil performances ever. Um, that guy that tends to be in a lot of the Coen Brothers movies, his name escapes me. Um, he's he's really good in it as well. But she is phenomenal in that movie. She's she's much better than that movie deserves. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. She doesn't just class up the joint. She she it it's sort of like if you're in a biker bar and somebody comes in in a cocktail dress, and you're <laughs> like, oh, they just don't belong here. Yeah, yeah, it's like it's like parking. It's like parking your your not so great car beside a car that's worse, just so your car looks better. Yeah, um, <laughs> you know what I mean. That's basically when I mean, you put Keanu Reeves in that movie. I'm like, all oh, right, Keanu Reeves is in there. Then you bring in Tilda Swindon, and I'm like, that. Oh no, Keanu Reeves is a bad actor. <laughs> right. It's like, it's something I already know. She just highlights it. She's just like a giant neon arrow behind them, just saying bad actor, wrong casting choice. Go back to the drawing board. <laughs> yeah. So, it, 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 the, it, like those scenes in uh, uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula with Gary Oldman talking to <laughs> Keanu Reeves. And you're like, oh, poor Keanu. You are just, you're, like, <laughs> you're, you're not in you're, the right class. You're like, why? You're like, you're like, you kind of want to, to, to be in on that, 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 boardroom meeting where they were all discussing the casting people are all discussing things I'm like yeah Gary Oldman phenomenal actor is Dracula this is going to be amazing right who else can we have in the movie and someone 
maybe for shits and giggles, saying oh, Keanu Reeves, <laughs> and everyone's like that. Great idea. <laughs> As if to say, no. What the first thing someone should have said is the Bill and Ted guy. Right. Right. <laughs> I don't think so. I think that's a bad idea. And yeah, that whole movie has such a weird, like schizophrenic casting where you have Anthony Hopkins as Van Helsing. Gary Oldman as Dracula, even like Carrie Elways as uh, the the um, American, and Tom Waits as Renfield, and oh yeah, you know, like all these kind of genius casting moves, and, and then, then Winona Ryder, <laughs> and then Winona Ryder and Keanu Reeves, who are both barely hanging on to the movie. Oh yeah, it's like it's almost it's almost as if half the casting was done by Francis Ford Coppola and the other half was done by Tim Burton. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, but even Tim Burton is smart enough not to cast Keanu Reeves. And Oh yeah, well. <laughs> and, and let me say everything I've seen about Keanu Reeves, it seems like he is a super nice guy and yeah. and a very intelligent, thoughtful guy. I just don't think he's a very good actor. He just can't emote. Yeah, it, it's it's At all? very monotone kind of delivery. Even you know, like whoa, Cast Dracula. <laughs> um, it, it, it's all that that same sort of delivery, and it uh, just doesn't work. Um, yeah. Agreed. Uh, all right, so we need to talk about Kevin. Goddamn. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, what what do you have coming up uh, podcast wise? Uh, that you might want to let people know about. Aside, and let me just p- uh, pimp this for you: the uh, anniversary, the one-year anniversary of podcast under the stairs. Congratulations! Oh, thank you very much. It will be out bef- probably the week before this episode lands. Um, so, yeah, yeah, it's it's really good. It's got two um, specific movie reviews I want to include. One of which you're on, sir. It's the the review of Cold in July, where where myself, yourself, and Jamie Jenkins just, like, blow that movie really hard. Yeah. <laughs> because it deserves it. And we don't charge for it either, so that's that's pretty good. <laughs> and um, I also have a special uh, review with my, my good friend Johnny Krug from Kruger Nation, uh, where we discuss a lesser-known uh, American-English production uh, giallo movie called White of the Eye, um, which was directed by... Artist turned director uh, Donald Camell, who also killed himself, uh, hung himself, uh, I believe, or did he shoot himself? I want to say hung himself um, in the nineties. Uh, kind of tragic figure that also suffered from from depression and things. And that movie's weird. It's weird. And um, during the review, of that uh, Johnny Krug uh, comes up with a a particular take on the movie which I'd never thought about before. And that's all I can think about with that movie now. So, yeah, I'm just like, yeah, that's what that movie is. So uh, we'll also have a Ask Duncan section where um, the Baz will be coming on to ask listener questions to myself and some nice messages contributing from from friends of the podcast and stuff. So that's probably the biggest thing. I'll also be continuing my top 10 countdown of the best and worst horror movies, uh, remake, sorry, remake horror movies. And um, by the time this episode drops, the episode with Danny Trioxin should be live, which we looked at the Nightmare on Elm Street remake. Oh yeah, that that debacle. <laughs> Don't say oh. that to Jamie Jenkins. I know, I know. Just I, I've, I had it again with her recently when I guested on the Skeleton Crew, and she was still defending that movie. And I was just like, "You will never budge." I'm pretty sure that you could waterboard Jamie, and she still wouldn't budge. So yeah, and uh, we talked about the the 
I think, horrendously un- uh, overlooked um, Mother's Day remake from 2011. I love oh, that, movie. that is good, yeah. Really enjoy that movie. Really good central performance in that movie as well. Uh, and the actress escapes my... Rebecca De Mornay. Yeah, Rebecca De Mornay. Yeah, is she's good great. In that movie. Yeah, really so, good movie. Yeah. So we're talking about that one. Um, the following uh, podcast, which will be out the same week as the anniversary, we'll have Johnny Krug back on there again to talk about the Dawn of the Dead remake, which is in the best category, and the Prom Night remake, which is in the worst category. So I, I, once again... That all really seems appropriate. I, yeah, I really wish I'd... Uh, really, really wish I'd done a bit more thinking about this before embarking on a, a 10 movie downward spiral um so yeah so that, that's what about yourself what what have you got coming up oh prom night uh, <laughs> uh yeah that movie's real garbage um I, aside from the usual stuff devour the podcast uh you can al- always check us out there i think uh we're about to embark on the friday the 13th uh series which i am curious about because i haven't seen most of those movies in 20 years so, no, spoiler alert, Bo, spoiler alert, I may be on more than one of those shows. Um, we'll see about that. I'll, I'll talk to David. <laughs> uh, no, no, no. I, I, I actually, I'm going to need all the support I can get because I have a feeling that roundabout number six is where I'm going to lose it. Oh no, sir! No, you need to stick in with it. Six is where six is where it gets its it gets its quirky identity. Again, it's been so long since I've seen these movies that I'm totally open to enjoying the silliness of them, uh, yeah. and and hopefully that's where it'll land. But man, after that Elm Street series, that really <laughs> that took <sighs> out of me. I'm so, I'm I'm still I still sit in awe of of the fact that you got through all them. Oh. It, well, all the Elm Street and Hellraiser movies. I've seen both of those series to to completion, <laughs> and. It is not even I mean, even I haven't finished the Hell. I'm a Hellraiser fan, and even I didn't watch uh, Revelations, the final one with Fat Pinhead. Um, not the worst of them, in my uh, in my estimation. I mean, it's terrible, but <laughs> it, it's not the worst. I don't think because it is it it's so cheap and low budget and and shoddily done that I kind of enjoy watching the train wreck of the movie. Uh-huh. As opposed to something that's a little more polished and not, it like at least with Revelations, I can I can enjoy the fact that, oh yeah, this looks like they just threw this together on a weekend, and there's something kind of entertaining about that. Mm-hmm. Um, with with some of those later films uh, in the series proper, like Dead World and stuff like that, it just it's like oh, this is just rotten. You know, like <laughs> this is this is really rotten, and people spent more time on it. Like I can forgive Revelations because it, it seems like something that Mrs. Johnson's fourth grade class did on their <laughs> on their spring break. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I can kind of appreciate it on that level, but yeah, but it, it's still terrible. Like after halfway through the third movie, everything after that is just not good. Mm, yeah yeah so friday the 13th that'll be fun though it will be trust me there's even even at the at the worst you will get a great deal of joy and bashing on some of those movies because they just get they just go ridiculous to the point where it's fun to talk about how ridiculous they are not like freddy krueger i mean when you get to um jason takes manhattan that is going to be probably i reckon it'll be one of the funniest ever the podcast shows <laughs> ever regardless if you have a guest or not because there's just so much to to laugh at in that movie it's uh 
<laughs> yeah, it's a complete yeah. train wreck. I was, yeah, so I'm kind of looking forward to it. I, I, and, and strangely, I'm looking forward to the later movies way more than talking about like the original Friday the 13th. Yeah. You know, because I feel like uh, that that's well-covered ground. But, you know, it, it'll still be interesting because Jamie is involved and that always leads to just something crazy coming out of her mouth. <laughs> like, like the Nightmare on Elm Street remake is good. Yeah, I, I still don't get it. I still, I still contend she has never seen it. She is just taking that <laughs> position. You know, logic be damned. Um, but, uh, yeah, so that, Graveshift Radio, uh, we, we will be back recording this week, I do believe. And um, I would be remiss not to uh, to point out the legionpodcast.com page, as mm-hmm. well as the Legion Podcast iTunes feed, so you can... You can hear podcasts under the stairs and devour the podcast and Graveshift Radio and this and all that stuff on that network. And uh, if you like those shows, uh, that you can subscribe on the main page of uh, LegionPodcasts.com, as well as uh, if you want to throw us a few bones on the uh, the the PayPal donate button, um, that is uh, that money will be distributed equally to all podcasts. So if you enjoy the network, eh, throw us a little money and and we appreciate it. So and thanks for listening, by the way. Uh, we we do appreciate it, and um, one of the uh, the newer podcasts, who the name of which I, I know it's Andy's podcast. It's it's Big Trouble and Little Podcast. Bi- no, Big Horror, Big Horror, Big Horror. And- sorry, yeah, Big Horror and, and Little Podcast. Yeah, so it is uh, only two episodes deep, but has been very popular. So um, congratulations to those guys and and uh, Andy and his lovely wife, uh, and it's a hilarious show. So, oh, they're brilliant. They're yeah. they're absolutely brilliant. I, I said that to you when I I was like, you need to hear these guys because the the and I've said I've, I've God knows how many podcasts I've mentioned this, but the the fact that they referred to a sequence in Blair Witch Project which had ectoplasm and they referred to it as witch jizz yeah. is the most endearing thing I've heard this year on a podcast. I absolutely love that. Yeah, and I also I like the fact that you can. You, you, when when two people are in a relationship for any period of time or, or any lengthy period of time. Uh, mm. There is a kind of a zero bullshit yeah. <laughs> thing that happens on that show that I really enjoy. Yeah, well, I love the fact that like that you well you shot yourself when you watched that film, didn't you? Yeah, oh, yeah, I did. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I really I really enjoy it. So um, yeah, so that's what I've got coming up, and then uh, we will be back in a fortnight from now. Uh, <laughs> yep. I, I got we got to come up with another day. Now I feel like I've I've overused Fortnite on this episode. <laughs> This episode should just be called Fortnite. Yeah, the, <laughs> a Fortnite with awful children. Um, that every 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 Jamie chapter is going to be chapter one, fortnightly. For- chapter two, a <laughs> previous Fortnite. Yeah. Chapter three, next Fortnite. Oh <laughs> uh, well, the the last segment will clearly be called Fart Gun. Fart Gun. But uh, so we'll we will be back in two weeks to discuss two more movies. And what I believe, I think we've agreed, is a tiebreaker episode of yep. Duncan and Bo Come Correct. So uh, uh, until then, everyone have uh, a wonderful fortnight, Duncan. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. That's awesome. That really is. That's absolutely awesome. I've been trying to get other people to embrace it, but no one has embraced it as much as you, Bo. And I'm thankful for that. I'm an early adopter. Uh, <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, say goodbye to everybody, Duncan. Bye, everyone. Thanks for listening. Bye, everybody. As I was slowly passing an orphan's home one day and stopped there for a
best to watch the children play.